I have a philosophical question. Oh, what? Is a dream that doesn't come true a lie or something worse? So a dream is in what though? Like is this an a riddle? ambition. Oh, ambition. A dream that come that doesn't come true. What was the last part? Is it a lie or something worse? But I just wanted to use this to segue into saying that I've been listening to like loads of Bruce Springsteen, and I love him. I don't know who that is. He's like a famous rock star. I don't know from who like that New is. Jersey. Okay. And like it's very like Americana, but in a like critical way of America, but. I got into him because I was watching Sopranos again and there's like no, loads of Bruce Springsteen race. He's so famous. Have you ever heard of the song Born to Run? Uh, probably if you play it over, I might or do. Or like Thunder Road or like... Yeah, these sound familiar. These yeah. sounds like concepts I've heard of before. He's one of the most famous... Never mind. I'm not very good at music. He's the most one of the most famous artists of all time. I'm sorry. But I've fallen in love with him. And he's so corny and American. And I kind of hate myself for liking him. But I do. Good for you, man. Yeah. <laughs> Alistair Crowley. <laughs> I, got, I guess we should probably start by saying that we have approached this episode in a slightly different way. You know, we're sort of experimenting with formats and seeing what works the best. Normally we both research a topic um, and then we sort of share our opinions and thoughts um, at the end on the podcast. But um, today Ralph has done all of the research. Um, I've done a little bit, but you know, nothing, nothing crazy. I've just listened to a few podcasts and a few episodes of whatnot on um, Alistair Crowley. But, but just to give me some background, but um, Ralph has actually dived deep and I think you know more about him anyway just because you're interested in him and magic. I wouldn't even say I've dived deep. I read a fictional book. Yes. Um, well, uh, his fictional book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I guess um, this is more of a book club episode because you're going to be telling me about the book that you read. Yes. And I know nothing about it. And um, yeah, I was going to talk about the book, talk about my experiences with it, how it like linked back to like the chaos magic episode we did when we first started and so on yeah um, sounds good and like just what i know about the person i was thinking like we could do this like this he's written two fictional books so we could if this works we could do another one about his fictional book like rum diaries and we could make this episode just talking about the man and like as like a famous occult figure and what we make of that and how like that's interesting that he's probably the last famous occult figure i would say um I don't know many occult figures, not ones that come to mind anyway, but yeah. then I have not done any research on this, so I wouldn't be able to agree or um, disagree. Then we could talk about... Yeah, well, it'll be an episode. Let's see where it goes. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> it's a bit more loose this time, <laughs> trying yeah, things of, out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Think of it as a relaxed, sitting around, talking about a book with a couple of people who haven't. Well, one person has read it, and like most book clubs, the other people haven't, <laughs> but turned up anyway. So yeah. I'm here. Uh, so the book is called Moonchild. It was published. Well, it was written in 1917, but it's published in 1928. Um, at the beginning, it's a whole thing. There's a little paragraph about him being like, "Yep, I am a person who wanted World War One not to happen." Uh, so there might be a little divergence into World War One talk. Sorry about that. And it turns out at the time he was writing for a German propaganda magazine. Ah. Um, 
just I started on this and I know we're kind of like diving deep into this when we're trying to keep it a bit service level but anyway didn't he kind of say that he inadvertently caused World War One? yes and that's in the book too. is it um, oh okay well I'm sorry for diving ahead please continue uh, but I have to admit towards the last 20, 75 pages a lot of it became World War One centric and I lost interest so I haven't read it all of it but I skimmed through the uh, last little bit because I couldn't I just couldn't how big is the book? It's only 300 pages. Oh, okay. But it's one of those books that if you read five pages, you're like, I have just lost an hour of my life. Like, <laughs> this is so... It's dense. Yeah, some of it is. Some of it's like really actually moved. You can tell he was off his face on drugs. Uh, like some of it moves at a pace and is really fun to read. But then it's, it's a tale of two books, I would say, mm. in the sense that one of it's like a kind of very pulpy, very silly magicians um, versus black magicians adventure story. Okay. Um, and the other half is him spewing his philosophy on magic and Thelema and the world and magic principles. And my God, those sections are hard to get through. Mm. Um, so is it, is it kind of like some fiction or is it's it... It's a fictional book, but with his philosophy intertwined with it. I see. Um, so it's it's very self-insert fiction. And that was the other thing that I found hilarious about the book, is you can see that this is a man with the ego the size of Mars, because he has two people who are clearly self-insert characters. Not one, but two. And the first one is a guy whose name I can't remember. Um called something and he's like <laughs> <Where is that? laughs> he's like this uh, I should really look that up I will in a second but I want to finish my point but he's like this young incredibly attractive incredibly smart um dashing did I mention attractive um genius who is wild and full of passion and fire and wants to like use his magical flaming sword to like cut down the walls of society and move the world into another eon um my goodness yeah he sounds intense and there's another character who's older and wiser and um very wise very centered very principled um has no flaws but maybe Oh, he is a sexist, but I don't think that was a flaw. I think that's just because this was written in the 1970s. Right. Not 1970s. Uh, 1910s. Yeah. And Mr. Crowley, Alistair Crowley was probably sexist. Um, and they're both quite clearly self-insert characters because they talk exactly the same. And you can just, you can just tell that he's like, yep, these are both me. Interesting. I am the most interesting man in the world, and these are the two sides of myself, and I am both of them. It, that's kind of an interesting concept for me. I quite like that. Not the fact that they are self-insert characters, but the, the fact that, like, you know, one has gone through this journey and become the other and become much more wise and self-centered rather than, like, very out there and trying to change the world and things. But um, is that how it came across to you? Yeah, it also just became came across as like the author because like they both follow his principle, which is a principle of principle of the lemur, and they're in a like a the lem the lemic like secret society. Mm-hmm. And you can just tell like the guy's just like I am so fucking awesome. Like, um, 
listeners, for those who don't know, Philema is the religion that Crowley's yeah, centered. philosophy, religion, way of doing magic. It's a cross between all three. Okay. Um, he says he didn't come up with it himself. He um, scribed it from like an Egyptian god, but... Oh, right. These The Egyptian gods that spoke to him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see. Um, I guess they told him about it and... Yes, yeah. and he... Um, In a vision. Yeah, and he... He wrote it down. <laughs> um, yeah, it's um, and the whole whole of it is do as thou wilt under the guise of love or some crap. Oh. Um, do as thy will. I've heard that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As and love his... is the law. That's the other thing. So what actually happens in the book? Right. So there's these two wizards, and they've come up with an idea for. Oh, we should say, and I've always wanted to say this on the podcast, but spoilers. Oh, spoilers for, for the book. Uh, over a hundred year old book, but it's really a spoiler, <laughs> so I don't know how many people would have read it. Um, I'll try not to spoil too much because it is kind of a fun read in a way. It's also incredibly tedious. Um, but so there's these two wizards who are doing this thing where they want to bring into the world a moon child, so they have to impregnate this woman. What um, is a moon child? First question, what is the moon child? So the moon child is the next spiritual evolution of humanity. Oh, um, okay. And he's going to be born and be like a super genius who's going to um, move the world to its next bit, its next stage of existence. Right. Um, and are these two wizards, are they the guys that you were talking about? Yeah, the two self-insert. Oh, wow. They, um, were, they, they were literally working together as protagonists. Yeah, yeah. Wow. <laughs> and there's these people from the Black Lodge, this dark magical society um, who are trying to stop them um, because they don't they aren't enlightened enough to understand why it would be a good thing and to bring in this moon child they have to go soul fishing in the fourth dimension uh, because the soul is a thing oh my god this is where it gets into like dense magical theory that I did not understand and I'm pretty sure it's like part of his religion but like the soul is a is like this internal amazing thing that we all have but because we're so indoctrinated into humanity by our upbringing and society um we can't access the soul's full knowledge so by doing the moon child ritual which they're doing they're going to be able to bring a soul in with more knowledge of itself and therefore it's going to be a genius Oh, so it's kind of like we only use 10% of our brains, but we're going to get someone who can use like 100% of the brains. Yeah, yeah, but a spiritual way. But in a, in a, like we in can't a access soul way. our soul's knowledge, but our soul chooses like the soul. So is the soul like an ancestral thing? No, it's oh. like a float. It's like it's got a will of its own. Okay. And like each soul chooses each person it wants to be inhabited. It oh. wants to inhabit. So say according to the book your soul wanted to adventure, it would inhabit a baby with the... Um, Someone who was going to be an adventurer. No, because it would make them into that, but like it would be oh. like through breeding, like say that like his two parents were super muscular and super fit, it would like choose that, or say the soul was like lazy, it would choose... So they're basically like little personalities. Yeah. And they inhabit a body of which is most likely to fulfil that their personality of what they want. From what I could understand. Okay. Yes. Right. 
but I didn't really understand it. So okay. I might be I might be wrong on all of this to be to be fair. Yeah, it sounds like a concept I'm okay with for the um, moment. It's not too difficult, I guess. And then the books about them like fighting off like dark magicians and um trying to do the Moonchild ritual and Did they do just, it in the end? I, from what I understand, they failed and caused World War One. Which... Oh, that's the World War One thing. Yeah, I so... see. And then the last fifty pages is Crowley moaning about World War One. Wow. And the plot sort of just ends. Sounds like a Stephen King novel. No, he is not as good a writer as Stephen. King. <laughs> um, as in the kind of it's on track to start with, and then it kind of goes off the rails. Yeah, yeah. And there's a woman called Lisa who falls in love with the young, fiery, amazing wizard and she's not really a character as much as a plot device but the the protagonist of the book is her like you're the person whose point of view is your following oh okay interesting for most of the book but Mm -hmm. it's mostly just her being very stupid and everyone telling how she's amazing oh um okay (laughs) there's not a lot of showing and not telling and like there'll just be the like there'll be these characters that are introduced, and then Crowley will write four pages on them, and they will never come back again. And you're like, well, I just learned this person's whole life story for no reason. There's a large chunk of the book that is just then going into how they disproved fake mystics and like scams. I think like Alistair Crowley was very aware that what he was doing could be called fake, so he like kept in the book. He was like. See, see, like I know what fake is. I, I, I can. I, I'm now telling you how. Like, mis- mis- I think when this was written, there was a lot of like pretend in real life. Like, there was a lot of people like talking to the dead or pretending to move things. Right. A lot of like hustlers in London and stuff. Mm. And Alistair Crowley being like, "All of that's fake. My shit. This is this is real. And this, how you, here's how you differentiate. This is the real deal. Um, and yeah, it's at points like kind of witty and funny and like. Enjoyable, and at other points, it's this very dry, very incredibly dry, talking about like the lame and um, it's, philosophy. And it's weird. It kind of sounds a bit like a, a a fiction novel intertwined with a pamphlet mm. on how he does magic and how his that religion is, is. Exactly what it is. Um, That's weird. <laughs> and if I'm being honest, I just wish it was a bit more pulpy and fun and had less of the magic stuff. But the magic stuff is um, a thing that isn't it. So do you know how well this book sold? Badly. Oh, okay. <laughs> so he wrote it in 1917, but he didn't publish it till 1928, because in 1928 he's basically out of money. Ah. Um, I think it came out to actual, like, quite critically good reviews. I think it sold all right, but I don't think it, like, really... I don't think it was, like, the... Bre- I think he thought, I can release a novel and then I'll be... An- I'll be made. Yeah, because I'm amazing at everything so all I have to do is put out some novel and then I'll be rich he did have a big ego like yes that like in every this is my main takeaway from the book in every single aspect of that book this is a man utterly utterly in love with his brain (laughs) like that dude it's if I could have his confidence I'd probably be an asshole but you can see why he was a man who thought he could, like, change shit into, like, gold in his mouth. Because he thought he was amazing. 
Yeah, he definitely definitely did. From what I've heard and read about him, he definitely did everything. He what what is it? I, I remember last podcast on the left talking about how he sat down when he was like twenty two or said and said, well, "What am I going to be? Am I going to be a diplomat? Yeah. Am I going to be a you know some part of the aristocracy? Like what what is going to what am I going to be? And like all of these different options, like on these like highbrow politicians or you know uh, you know." It, not many people can do that, you know. Obviously, they're kind of like, I'm going to be a graphic designer rather than I'm, I'm going, going to, to be a retail store. Exactly. Yeah. Or like just let life happen to them rather yeah. than being like, I'm going to be a politician and I have decided that I'm going to be or, you know, this very important person. So, for instance, here's an example of, oh, I wanted to say, like, back to what you said, like, talking about, like, him being like, I could be this and this and this. Like, I think that comes from arrogance and also the fact that he was, like, a rich white man in the 19, early, early, well, late 1800s, early 1900s. He did have uh, a lot of money as well. Yeah, and he was very learned. Mm. Um, so he probably could have just been, like, must be whatever the fuck I want. Is that seems how things worked back in the day? Yeah, maybe that's um, more of the time than, yeah. than what I'm thinking of. But um, he also was an avid mountain climber as well. You get that from the book because every single simile he uses is about like mountain shit. It's so funny <laughs> because he's like, like the mountain that climbs up to the sky, and at the top there's only black ice at the top of mountains. That was what is in the man's heart, or like. It's a very unrelatable metaphor. (laughs) (laughs) Not many people have climbed mountains and I didn't know anything about black ice being at the top of them. No, he could just be making that up. He's like, and like the mountain climber, it's up to him to organise the exploration accordingly. And that is how Simon Gregory... There's not... I need to work out what the name of that character was. He's the main character. I've read this whole book. Yeah, you should Um, work that out before we continue because otherwise we're going to be like, who was that guy? (laughs) But it's like... like, And that's how the man organised his mind like that of the avid mountain climbers. Like, (laughs) I don't know. Stop talking about mountain climbing. Um, It's hard not to think of the man as a slight genius because, like, some of the shit he wrote out in the, like, philosophical sections, but, like, I don't... This is a fault of mine, that I assume that everyone not born... Everyone born before the 1960s was an idiot. Um, Like, I don't know why I do that, but it's hard... Like, history sounds so horrible to me. I'm like, well, they must have all just been, like... They're cretins. Raging savages. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like your town folk. <laughs> exactly. I think they couldn't have known how to write because, like, in my mind, like, anything before the 1960s, there was, like, there was no education or music oh, or the, joy or the, hobbies or... The 1960s was, like, so close. <laughs> no, you got the whole of history. <laughs> maybe before, like, World War Two. That's still so modern. (laughs) You have the Greeks who like invented writing and calendar and sundial. How dumb must they have been to not have writing before that? Like they must have just. Well, I don't know if you're like someone who doesn't have writing. Creating writing seems like a big thing, right? Yeah. That would be like me creating something that doesn't exist yet. Yeah, I think. Yeah, but still. In my head, it was just all like a wasteland of horror. Apart from, I have like read a lot I mean, I'm sure it was, it just they were, with this, they were quite clever about it as well. Maybe. <laughs> Carry on, but, obviously. Um, yeah, so like here's, so here's an aspect of the dry shit I was talking about. I'm just going to read a paragraph and imagine being reading about like dark magicians and light magicians and like fun little as- escapades with like 
so there was this bit in the book which I actually really enjoyed and thought was quite well written where they um, took Lisa, the protagonist, mm-hmm. to a dark magician's hideout. And in retrospect, I don't know why they brought her there because there was absolutely no reason to. Um, and if the dark magician got a bit of her blood, then it could kill her. Yeah. Um, and they were doing this seance where the two detectives, who were the lead, the goodies, mm-hmm. um, were trying to like keep her from getting cut. And this Lisa's a fucking idiot through the entire book. Every single trick that the dark magicians used, she fell for. <laughs> so, for instance, when they told her, they're like, Lisa, no matter what, no matter what, do not put yourself in any situation where you could get even a drop of blood spilt. Okay? Okay? <laughs> All right? Got it? You got it? You got it? Okay, you got it. You got it. All right. We're going to go in now. Don't. And then they go in and the one of the people is like, hi, Lisa, reaches out his hand with like sharp nails and she's like, hello. <laughs> and then, I thought you were going to say something like, would you like to chop my onions for me? <laughs> it goes on. And then like when the mystic, so they were going to a mystic who was like trying to prove that she could um, tell the future. And then the mystic pretends to be a baby because it's like multiple personalities and they can all tell the future and it's all like a big hoax and stuff. Oh. And then she's like, I'm a baby, come over and hold me. And Lisa's like, okay. And they're like, nope, don't, don't do that. And then another time, there's like a guy pretends to fall over and Lisa's like, I'm going to go help him up. And you're like, oh my God, you <laughs> fucking idiot, why? She just sounds too kind for her own good. Yeah, that's, and like, but it's quite fun because like the two, um, Simon If and the other guy, are like cleverly busy. It's all through this like very middle class veneer of, um, politeness mm. like slowly like trying to like not letting them cut her by being like oh instead of like if you shaking her hand I'll shake yours and like I'll shake her hand so we've done it through mutual whatever <laughs> and then when the babies like come and hold me they're like sometimes babies have sharp nails so let me like fire your nails down before you can come and hold her and it's <laughs> kind of like almost like Sherlock Holmesian in the way it goes back and forth um I see which is kind of fun Forget what I was talking about. Oh yeah, so that's the like kind of bit of the book I enjoyed, mm-hmm. and like there's these like little adventure sections. But then it goes into like the driest philosophy. A so, pamphlet. Yes. <laughs> Here's an example of him talking about genius. Okay. Um, all our little great men, our one poem poets, our one picture painters, have merely failed to perfect themselves as instruments. The genius who wrote the Ancient Mariner is no less sublime than he who wrote The Tempest, but Coldridge had some incapacity to catch and express the thoughts of his genius, was ever such a wooden stuff as his conscious work, while Shakespeare had the knack of acquiring the knowledge necessary to the expression of every conceivable harmony. <sighs> no no, no full stops. Um, wow. Necessary of every conceivable harmony, and his technique was sufficiently fluid to describe with ease. Thus we have two equal angles, one good secretary, the other with... A bad one. I think this is the only explanation of genius. In extreme cases of Lavina King, it stands out as the one thinkable. Okay. Was that easy to follow? No. What Can I tell you what I think it means? Yes. I think it means you have to be a master of everything to be considered a genius. 
um, rather than just one thing. Because if you're just master of one thing, you can't. You can make a great thing, but you can't market that thing. Is what I'm is is what I'm getting from that. Was that completely wrong? Yes. Okay. Because he goes on to say, I don't say went on the mystic that the genius and his artist are not inseparable. Inseparably. Inseparably. There we go. Uh, connected. It may be a little more closely than the horse and his rider, but there is at least distinction to be drawn. And here is a point for you to consider. The genius appears to have all the knowledge, all illumination, and actually might be right, <laughs> and to be limited merely by the powers of the medium's mind. Even this is not always the bar. How often... And so on. Um, <laughs> and so on, and so on. I don't really... In short, the genius appears to being... Oh, here we go. In short, the genius appears to be a being of another plane, a soul of light and immortality. I know that much of this may be explained by supposing what I have called genius to be a bodily substance in which the consciousness of the whole race, in particular time, may have been active under certain stimuli. stimuli. There is much to be said for this view. Language itself confirms it. So I, right. I think what he was getting at is that the genius does the work because if you remember what I said about souls being genius and we all have a genius in us, but because we're like con- um, constricted by um, environment and society that we can't do it. I think what he was getting at is the gene, a genius is someone who can fully <clears throat> tap into a little bit more of their soul. Right. While the non-genius um, has too many um, things still in the way and they haven't done the work necessarily to untap the genius. That's why Coldridge, um, when he wrote Wine of the Ancient Mariner, he only wrote it when he was fucked out of his skull and like opium because he's... More in touch with the soul. Yeah, at that point. But when he's conscious, he can't. But Shakespeare was more in touch with the soul always, so the genius flowed out with him more fully. Right, okay. And that is one section of the like kind of magical philosophy that he talks about. And that is about every 10 pages of the book where it stops being a book and becomes... Let me tell you about magic. Yes. Um, and it's like, no full stops when I'm doing this. I will forget how punctuation works. <laughs> Just a stream of consciousness. Yeah, you can also tell he was on opiate while he wrote this book because the plot moves around so much. He's like, we're here. Now we're here. Fuck. Oh, and we're here now. <laughs> you know what it reminds me of is my dad wrote a porno. <laughs> Like, we were in London, near the old clock tower, and now we're over here in Heathrow Airport. And it's like, wait, when did time pass between these two chapters? I will say he's actually, in his way, quite a talented writer. Yeah. When he's not doing the magical stuff. Like, it's quite... The prose is quite bouncy and funny, and, like, he has this cynical air to everything he's saying. So even when he's doing the, like, two self-insert, let-me-rank-myself-off characters... (laughs) Um, so all through this kind of pompous pomposity oh, yeah. air from his prose where mm. you're just like it all has this faint aura of self-mocking mm. um, which I found quite enjoyable but he does hate women yeah um, I mean it doesn't surprise me to be honest and <laughs> it's so funny because you can tell this is so desperately what he wants his life to be like um, also to loop back the main character's Name is Cyril Gray. Please don't stop listening because I don't remember characters' names. I swear I read this book. <laughs> and I read all the books. All the books? About, Ever? Yes. Wow. With the name of Moonchild, written by Alistair Crowley. Oh, that, that lessens yeah. it slightly. So all one of them. All of the one book. <laughs> yes. And I did skim through the last 75 pages of it. 
Yeah, what were the last 75 pages? Like just you said about World War One. Yeah, mostly him moaning about World War One. So how did how how does that intertwine with the characters? Or they just finish the book and he's like, now let me tell you about World War One. <laughs> no, it's more like so they do the ritual and then it all goes wrong because of like black magic and then World War One happens and then he's like, here's why this is a bad thing. And you're like, well, oh. I guess you're on the right side of history thinking World War One's a bad thing, despite the fact you were writing for German propaganda while it was happening. Yeah, why did they allow him to write that? Oh, they didn't really. Oh. Um, he was like banned from England and like labelled a traitor and was, but his excuse was he was like, I was writing such silly stuff that they can't have thought I think that's also why he published the book because it's so funny. I'll read you out the like beginning of it, because this is when like this was published after he was labelled a traitor. Okay. And I feel like um some of the book was maybe um at least this first bit was being like, Look, I told you I'm I'm on your side, England. And in fairness, I, I, I do feel like he was on England's side. He's a very patriotic man in his own way. Oh, yes. Uh, so, right, here's the first bit. Here's the author's note. Um, this book was written in 1917. During such leisure as my efforts to bring America into the war on our side allowed me. Again, at the time, he was writing for German propaganda. Um, hence my allusions on the subject. And sad showing off Simon If at the end. Need I add that... As the book itself demonstrates beyond all doubt, all persons and incidents, I am purely for England as the figment of my imaginations. Right, okay. So he really, the man, the man wanted you to know that he was on England's side in World War One, and nobody can say differently because he wrote it as an author's note. Right. But how do you mean he was also writing for German propaganda. So he was writing other things for German propaganda. Yeah, he was writing at the time for a German propaganda magazine oh. as his day job to earn money. Um, I see. And, um, yeah, that's kind of followed him everywhere because it's sort of a bad thing to do if you're from England. It'd be like someone... I'm not going to go into that, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, that, yeah. <laughs> I understand the ramifications of that. Someone from... Um, PS5. Well, I mean, I don't really need to do an example. No, yeah, it's really obvious why it's yeah. <laughs> At least it was World War One, where the Germans weren't out and out evil like they were in the yeah. World War Two. I guess so. I really Wasn't know. he like for Hitler as well at some point? No, not really. Oh, really? Um, okay, that's contradictory to what I've heard. No, he was... Didn't he try to get like... I, that's it. He tried to get Hitler to join his religion. Or thought about it, potentially. I'm not sure if they actually yeah, tried Yeah, I anything. don't think he was all that for Hitler. Because, again, he's quite a patriotic man. Like, middle class, 19, you know, which white men tend to be. That kind of, like, <laughs> from that time period. Generalising. <laughs> from that time period. Probably where he's all, like, posh, posh, bloody England, hurrah, hurrah. What, what, what? God save the Queen, what, what. Did I it? see. Tally-ho. <laughs> yeah. yeah, penny farthing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I think, like, if anything, he probably liked Hitler for his showmanship and respected the con of it. He did like extremes. Yeah. If there's anything that I know about Alistair Crowley is he did everything to excess and to extreme. And I think that he appreciated Hitler's extremity, I suppose. Kind um, of, but... Crowley in his way was actually a I don't think as evil as he portrayed himself to be and if you research the man he was clearly a 
quite terrible person. But uh, he's interesting as a man because he is a quite clearly terrible person. But he's not an evil person. Like, he's just rich and he's kind of like Bojack Horseman in a way. Um, <laughs> God, I love that show. Same. Same. Um, but he's just someone who was born into wealth, never really had to, like, mature and does shitty things and is very self-centred and doesn't care about the people around him all that much, but isn't actively trying to damage people. Mm. People just sort of get damaged by being near him because he's a complete and utter narcissist and doesn't give a shit about anyone. And then when you like things in extremes... If you're a narcissist and don't give a shit and are trying to do everything to the extreme, anyone in your orbit who gets taken in by you is he's quite a charming man. Even in the prose of this book, you can tell if you were to speak to him, he'd be quite a charming man to be around. Um, uh, Probably going to be damaged by him. Mm. He really is like Bojack Horseman, but Bojack Horseman's like quite charming. He's very funny. He's very witty, um, but he's a total narcissist and is uh, an addict and just like a black hole. Which That's everything around him. Yeah, I, I actually, when you were describing that, I was like, you could well be talking about Bojack Horse, actually, yeah. because uh, it is very much of of that kind of personality. Right. And everyone being uh, hurt in the orbit yes. is, is very um, akin, I, I believe. I reckon you can make an amazing comedy series out of Alistair Crowley's life <laughs> in a similar vein to Bojack Horseman. Do it, man. Yeah. When we, like, run out of ideas for that, this. <laughs> and, like, the show just becomes about, like... In, like, episode 200, where we're like, let's just compare Bojack Horseman and Alistair Crowley. I mean, you know that's ultimately where we're heading. Yeah, yeah, it'd be funny. (laughs) Or, like, when I'm like, let's do a whole episode on Bloodborne, because there's (laughs) left-hand and right-hand magic theories in that. No, we're not talking about fucking Bloodborne. We will. I hear enough of it off air. We will. In, like, episode 300. I'll wear you down over the next 10 years of doing this. Oh, my lord. Um, I forget my point. (laughs) <laughs> so what else would you like to know about the book or Alistair Crowley so when and when, I'm not an expert on either okay but I'll ask the questions anyway yes see if you can respond to them um, where where was he in his life when this had, when he published the book and when where was he when he wrote the book because they obviously came out at a different times so when he wrote them so I think he wrote the book when he was like on just a he was quite young when he wrote the book he wasn't too far into like his magical Wait, no, I might be wrong about this. I think it was about, like... <sighs> he was doing well. He was under, mm-hmm. like... When the book was written, I'm pretty sure he was, like, at the height of his creative, magical powers. I see. Uh, I don't mean powers as, like... I'm not saying, like, this was when he was, like, a most powerful wizard. I mean, I think he was, like, getting the most written. He was, uh, like, writing... Productive. His, yeah, he was, like, writing his most important words, like, about Thelema and stuff. Mm. Um, and when he published it, I think that was, like... His money was dwindling. His like influence was dwindling a little bit. He wasn't like doing too well. I know he had completely and utterly run out of money, which is why he published it. I do um, remember that being one of the key parts in his life. Yeah. He kind of like lived hand to mouth for a while, and then just he blew at- seven million pounds. Like, yeah, the equivalent of today's seven million pounds. It's a lot of money to burn yeah. through. Yeah, I could do it though. I mean, I think anyone could easily. Yeah, yeah now <laughs> back then it seems harder to do so, but. Yeah, I wonder. Um, I mean, you could just spend it all on Bitcoin now. I don't know what that is, and I never, <laughs> never will. I've had, like, my friend... I don't know what that is, and I won't respond to it. <laughs> yes. I've had my friends sit me down and be like, well, if you need to like, get into this, we can make money. And I, like, I was like, it's trying to explain it to me, and I was just like, 
Wait, your friend was trying to like cocaine style explain Bitcoin to you? He wasn't on cocaine. He sounds like he was. Well, sit down, I need to tell you something. He's very like, he tells me like, I think like a thousand pounds from like good Bitcoin investments. Mm. But then I think he lost like two thousand. <laughs> so he's net worth kind of, yeah. yeah. Not not the best really when it comes to that. That's just gambling. Yeah, that's I'm sorry, that's, what, that's like someone that's saying, said it was. this is like a wonderful person. Like, I, I, he's so good at gambling, but he's actually net worth lost two grand. <laughs> like, why? Or one grand, I guess. Stocks essentially are. Yeah, I mean, gambling. Bitcoin is kind of stocks. I don't want to yeah. get into this on a podcast because I might be horrifically wrong about all of this. Just, <laughs> but we might be about horrifically wrong about all of the subjects that we cover, so I'm not sure why I'm so precious about this one. <laughs> so really funny story though, he sat me down and he explained it for ages, but it's like, and I was just there like at the end of it and it's like, coins. <laughs> <laughs> like pennies, he's like, no, for fuck's sake. <laughs> I wasn't even drunk at that point. It was like a sober lunch coffee meetup. So what were you talking about? Yeah, so he had blown seven million pounds and he was like, well, I know I can publish this and I'll be like a famous author if I publish anything, so. And then talented he, at everything. he just wasn't. No, I don't think it sold well. And I know he like printed it on the most expensive paper. And I remember the, the l- last podcast on Left talking about like he he just took so much pride in his work that he expect he he printed it on the most expensive paper, which basically outpriced all of his audience because it was ridiculously expensive to buy anything that he wrote. And it, yeah, and then I think he probably did do it cheaper, but it's because it was like mass produced. I think as a book goes, but. It just wasn't like he's he's fucking obscure. He wasn't obscure. He's quite famous, but he's still just a wizard. Like I don't imagine many people like in nineteen twenty eight. Like, I'm like, do you know what I want to do? I want to read a half thriller, half very dry thing about the fourth dimension and souls book, and about a man who you know is gay and a traitor to the country. Yeah. I mean, not saying as gay. It was a bad thing back then to be gay. Oh, it was illegal. Yeah. Well, he wasn't gay. He was, I guess he, for a better, you know, he's bi. But it came out that, like, he was in lots of gay relationships and had sexual relations. And I don't think the people... I, I guess bi is not really a thing. Yeah, there, I don't imagine is. the people back then were like, oh, like... sexuality's from <laughs> It's complicated, you know. That's true. I guess, like, if you've... You've had one homosexual relationship that kind of says, he's a homosexual, and then that would be it. Like, yeah, you, exactly. you wouldn't get to sort of fight that back. People still believe that to this day. That's mad. But, yeah. Um, so that's where he was. Next why, question. Why do you think Alistair Crowley is still remembered to this day? Because whenever I listen to a long form podcast about him, and, and it is always long form because there's so much to cover, and I really don't feel like we're doing it justice in this episode because obviously we're not doing a blow by blow of his life and I don't really intend to either because it's he has such a long varied life I would say if you want to blow by but blow by blow um and there is lots of blowing um <laughs> then go listen to like the last podcast thing either those three episodes four episodes I think they did on him were like amazing I think it's some of their best work um I, d- I do re- highly recommend those episodes of last podcast on the left I don't think we'd be able to yeah, there's just no point. Like, just go listen to that. Like, yeah, they've already done it. Yeah. Much, much better than we but could ever do they it. they didn't really talk about Moonchild, and I am talking about that. That's true. We're specifically talking about the book. Um, but it's very difficult to put this strange, obscure book title in a kind of arena that anyone would understand without knowing 
something about the man himself. Exactly, which I don't think is a bad thing we're talking about the man himself. Oh no, I, I feel that we need to, but there's so much to him. Yes. Like I said, all the podcasts I listen to are long form because there's so much to cover. There's, I don't think you could do like a short 20 minutes on Alistair Crowley because there is just so much to cover and there are so many main points in his life of which... So much stuff happens. You know, he's very much involved in different relationships. He's he travels around the world. He writes like different a things. fictional character. Yes. Which I can see why he self-inserted himself into it. Because if you glorify his life, it is sort of amazing. Like, he was one bitch. And then he <laughs> used that money instead of, like, just being a stodgy nobleman in England. He, like, went travelling, went to, like, almost every country, climbed mountains, like, invented a cult, religion. Mm. Um, Did blood well, Invented sex magic Yeah Had lots of sex Tried to eat shit Got hooked on opium And died toothless and old And Yeah Miserable like we all do he, But he is a very strange character I mean I, I don't necessarily say there's one You know like when you listen To a podcast Or, or read a book on, on someone They had this grand thing That they did Like they climbed Everest Or they You know they did this one Sort of momentous peak In their life I would say if you wanted To like say he did This amazing thing He did like the whole yeah. I don't put this I think he made I think because he was such a person Such a character He's probably the reason things like Chaos magic and occultism Is still around Like still quite popular It's not popular because obviously it's such a niche thing mm. But it's still like There's subreddits de dedicated to Thelema and there's like subreddits. I think I don't think chaos magic would exist without him. I think that's the thing. If you wanted to like narrow it down and really say like why is this man so famous? It's because before like magic was absolutely a secret thing that nobody knew. It was a secret society and it was a hush hush, completely under the table. And Alistair Crowley was like to the world, like I'm a look, I'm a magician, bitches. <laughs> like here's how you do this shit. Here's what ceremonial magic is. I'm gonna write book after book after book and I'm going to publish them all and they're going to be accessible for everyone and people can know what magic is and we should all be doing it and if everyone would like Thelemic the world would like go into the next eon and it's all going to be amazing and you know you're all going to become gods through me and here is world if you want it you can access it all thanks to me that's pretty cool actually they made magic accessible yeah yeah I think that is what he did to an extent because he just wanted to be a celebrity um I think his e I don't think it was like some I want to help the common man it's not fair that people don't know magic you know every it should be accessible for everyone I think he was just like man I just want to be famous and a celebrity and here's a niche in the market and he so definitely found that niche didn't yeah. he definitely inserted himself into something that no one else was really doing to that scale. Yeah, famous people at the time, like um, W.B. Yeats and Oscar Wilde, they were in the like Golden Order Society. I don't think that's right. Hermetic, whatever, whatever secret Hermetic order. order. Yeah, whatever secret order he was in. Um, they were in there with him, but I, like, they, they, again, that was very hush-hush, and he was just like, look at me, world. I'm a wizard. I'm a wizard. Yeah. <laughs> and you can be too. You just have to follow my unreadable works. <laughs> I'm making it accessible. No one can get through these, but I'm doing it. They sound very open to interpretation, which in, in itself is kind of magical. I think a very specific philosophy really? that oh, I just don't understand. Maybe it's just the way he writes. Yeah. <laughs> that's interpretable. So and I would say that's probably the thing you can... 
why he's probably still known to this day. And also, like, he's an interesting, like, a you know... A he is interesting. Addict who climbed mountains is pretty cool. <laughs> he had a very interesting, colourful life. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, no, I like that description, that he was the one who made magic accessible to the masses. And, yeah, probably is a big influence as to why magic is like it is today. Yes, and, like, there can be subreddits about it, and me and you can sit here and talk about it and have, like, resource tools. Sit and have a podcast a kind dedicated of... kind of to it. Yeah, and other sort stuff. Of. Yeah. Um, <laughs> whatever we feel like. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of fell in love with him a little bit doing more research because, like, he is awful and has done terrible things and is a, a, maybe a sociopath. But uh, there was something, like, he's just so... Like... This was in the 18, late 1800s where he, and, like, early 1900s. I mean, it takes a certain amount of balls and showmanship to be like, I am the great beast 666. Mm. Like, I am the wickedest man in the world. I am the villain of the world. Like... Uh, like, like, and to do that in real life yeah. rather than you know someone on a forum where you just yeah. be sort of confined to a corner of the internet for the rest of your days and actually live, live like he's not he's not the great beast in the sense that he like he wasn't a murderer he didn't hit, I mean two of his kids did die but that was through neglect not like on purpose murder so that makes it okay um, <laughs> yeah on purpose murder my favourite <laughs> kind <laughs> like yeah neglect but like you know yeah I was high on heroin all the time. I'd probably neglect children. <laughs> I mean, I think you need the heroin if I'm honest with you. Yeah. I, yeah, I don't think I would let a child die if I didn't have heroin. <laughs> but I can't be sure. Um, Let's not test the theory. Yeah, no, this is what I'm never having kids. I think if you have to debate with yourself if you'd let them die without heroin or with heroin, you probably shouldn't have kids. <laughs> it's a sliding scale. So what was my point? But I did kind of fall in love with him a little bit. Because, like, he just... He lived it to an extent. Like, he did the sex magic, and he had lots of gay sex, and he did eat shit, and he did write the stuff, and he did... Like, you read the book, and the philosophy is insane, but then you think, like, this was written back in the 1917s. 1917, and then, like, some of the, like, conceptual... Fourth dimension, soul, stuff like that's probably all scientifically wrong, but it's still so fucking imaginative and. He seems out like there. he lived with Ernest, and he, you know, it wasn't one of these things like people would go like, "Oh, he ate shit," and then just kind of went like behind it, like he was like, "Nope, I ate shit." Yeah, he he was very much honest. Nope, he lived without shame. Yes. Yeah, I would say. That's a good good way of putting it. I mean, he did, like, shy away from the gay stuff, but that's only because he could get arrested. Yeah, um, but he did and he didn't because, you know, it's very clear and obvious and documented that he was very much a homosexual. Yeah. Or at least into men. Yeah. By the way, I mean, he literally fled from England, like, when it happened. Um, and, like, like, Oscar Wilde, who, like, stood up and went to prison for the party, was like, I shall shun all consequences to this but in fairness like he should it's not fucking one to sleep with men he was just ahead of the time he was and like you gotta respect that about a person who like he wanted to do magic so he let men have sex with him and have sex with men um 
So, and like, I felt that reading the book too, oh, I'm talking a lot, reading the book too, I was like, I kind of hate this person because, again, the ego in every single bit of prose was dripping of like, hmm, I'm amazing. <laughs> Here's my grand philosophy on the soul, which I would spend 10 pages saying inarticulately and unreadably. But also, like, yeah, it's like, oh, he's so funny. <laughs> so, yes. I would say Moonchild is a fun, uh, fun little book. I can't say I'm going to read it, but I, I got the impression from you that it was a fun book and I enjoyed hearing your rendition of it. It was so pulpy. And like, if you're into... If you have like an itch for like pulpy witchcraft stuff, it sort of, it sort of scratches it. And like, I learned... It's, so, it's interesting like looking at it, like the Thelema stuff compared to the Chaos Magic stuff and like... Even though I didn't really understand any of his philosophies, I'm maybe just not as intelligent as I think I am. Um, <laughs> I still found it interesting, if very dry. Yes. Any other so, questions? Um, no, I think uh, we've pretty much covered that one. We have been speaking for almost an hour on it. So, yeah, I, cool. feel, I feel like, yeah, well done. Nice one. That was good. Uh, we should do book club episodes more often. Yeah, that would be fun. Like yeah. He's got another fiction book we could do one on Ooh. in the future, and then... Yeah, we could get into that one. Yeah. We'll see what the response to this episode is like. Yeah, that sounds good. <laughs> then we may do the next one. Sounds good to me. Yeah, awesome. Well, thank you everyone for listening. Um, this has been Journey Into the Strain. I've been Mal. And I've been Kaz. See nice. you later. Bye.